0: Right, so my deadline for a feature is just a few days away, and I'm really struggling to find case studies. I've been told about Cision's Media Request Service, which helps journalists find interviews and quotes at short notice. So here goes. cisioncouk journalist services media requests Great, this is just what I need. PR for companies, charities, leading lifestyle brands, it's all here. Ooh, it even says that if I don't have time to put the request out myself, we've all been there, right? Scission Media Requests team are on hand to help out. And hey, for a rainy day, they can even direct you to PRs in specific sectors, so no faffing around with hashtag journal requests. Content, samples, case studies, sources, I've got it all here on scission.co.uk-journalist-services-media-requests-requests. Consider this feature filed. Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. I'm Lily Cantor. And I'm Emma Wilkinson. We're both experienced freelance journalists and in each episode, with the help of two fabulous guests, we give practical tips on key issues you face when we're working for yourself. And
1: in series nine, we're getting back to basics.
0: Yes, so we're going to cover all those topics that are essential for anyone working as a freelance journalist and focus on how we can really hone our skills and give our career and work a bit of a boost.
1: Yes, so the topic this week is how to supercharge your pitching. We covered Pitching 101 before right back um, in the very first series, Um, and you can go back and have a listen to that to refresh your memory, but today what we really want to do is get into the nitty-gritty of what makes a winning pitch and how to really improve your chances of getting that commission. Yes,
0: I'm quite excited. I think I might actually learn something here as well. Before we get into all that, we're going to talk about our highlight of the week. Lily, what's yours? Well, mine
1: is a bit of a non journalistic one, but it's something that's been driving me crazy for the last few weeks. And that is, I've finally managed to download a piece of software that I need. And it has taken me forever and it has been a right pain. But I managed to do it yesterday. Um, and I think it's just an example of one of those sort of really annoying things that as a freelancer, you have to kind of try and sort out yourself. But I did it. So it's done
0: you did and it was quite handy for me because I needed to download the same piece of software and you could tell me all the things what not to do so I just waited for you to troubleshoot it all and then I could just
1: yeah and so I've yes all those hours I've wasted and you did it in minutes so I just swooped in and did it on the back of your
0: coattails so yes so my highlight this week um I got to the end of a run of a big there were kind of three or four big features investigations that I'd been working on for quite some time it felt like a massive relief just to finish them they were all kind of published at once it was a it was a really busy time but then immediately I got commissioned for three more <laughs> so I was like, oh, never ending um but I realized that I quite like that feeling at the start when you they've given you a topic and you know it's kind of a really good thing to look into but you don't actually know at that point what you're going to find mm. or what experts you even need to speak to or where it's gonna take, take you. And two of them are in a sort of very sensitive area around patient safety, and it could involve some quite difficult conversations, but I'm kind of, I'm quite excited to just learn a bit more and and get stuck in. So all I have to do now is just find the right people who will who are willing to talk to me about this.
1: Right, it's time to introduce this week's guests. Well, our first guest is Puntia van der and she's an experienced journalist specialising in true life stories, and she's written for a wide range of UK magazines and newspapers. She's also worked as a commissioning editor before founding Lacuna Voices. And if that CV isn't enough, she's also the author of a fantastic new book called the 10-point pitching plan
0: yes we also have with us flick everett also a very experienced journalist and editor who's written for a long long list of newspapers and magazines she's worked as a columnist and copywriting and like punter has also worked on the other side as an editor for vegan living new psychotherapies and candace magazines yeah so two
1: great guests and thank you so much for coming on today to talk about pitching um there's so much advice out there already for journalists who are who are freelancing um and and particularly those who want to learn about pitching but even as experienced freelancers um you know we can all struggle to get things picked up um and perhaps there's common mistakes that, that we all make. And Punti, I wonder if we can come to you first. Could we sort of start with what you think the most common mistake is that people make when pitching?
2: Um, I think the most common mistake is pitching what you want to write rather than what that newspaper or magazine or publication wants or needs. Yeah. Um, and kind of not, not considering actually what that commissioning desk is doing day to day can be a I think a real blooper that gets in the way of having your pick commissions land because the topic might be something you feel really passionate about. I know I I I have loads of topics that I love writing about, but unless I can package it in a way that's useful for the editor that I'm pitching to and will help them see where exactly in their title, in what franchise or what series it's going to fit, um, then it's it's not it's not going to have a great chance of landing.
0: Yes, I yeah that's so um kind of spot on because I think we all get those topics that we think this is really interesting people need to know about this but we're thinking about that from kind of our point of view rather than the the publication that uh, you want to target um I mean Flick I want to ask the same question to you really what's that thing that makes you wince when you sort of see a pitch that's not landed or not been well written
3: Well, that really, I mean, I have to say that is the key to getting your pitch rejected is not knowing the publication or the website that you're pitching to. Um, It's so important to research your market and understand what their demographic is, their house style, the way they write, the sort of things that get picked up. Also, uh, one really embarrassing thing is, and I've done this, I think we all have probably, is when you pitch something having not really bothered to read the back issues recently or not read that week's newspaper and find out that there's already been a piece on that very thing the day before or the previous week or in the previous month's issue. So I think it's really, really important um, to know your market, know who you're pitching to, and editors know they will be able to tell immediately if you haven't researched the magazine or the newspaper, because if you take a scattered gun approach and approach everybody with the same sort of pitch, they're going to think, well, this isn't for us. The other danger with that, of course, is that you are risking really, really annoying people because if two people want the same pitch, then you're in trouble. So only ever pitch one at a time with the same idea is the other thing to bear in mind there.
1: Yeah that's really sad advice I've fallen into that trap before thankfully not with you Flip, but I have with um, <laughs> yeah with some of the money stuff I've done I've been i pitched somewhere and I've been a bit impatient and not heard back and pitched it elsewhere and then suddenly they both come back and I've had to then explain that yeah. and kind of decide who I'm gonna go with or who's still not cross with me. <laughs> So, yeah, that I yeah. think pitching one at a time.
3: Yeah. I mean, if, if you do make that mistake, you can go back to one of them and say, look, I've not heard back from you. Somebody else is interested. If you want this, can you let me know right now? Kind of thing. And, and if they don't let you know, assume that they're not interested. But it is only polite, I think, to ask and to let them know that you are taking it somewhere else.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about length, because... um again it can sometimes be a bit tricky to know sort of how long a pitch should be um you know I guess it depends if it's sort of a, a news story or a more in-depth feature um and it can be really tempting to kind of cram everything kind of into that pitch so Punty, I mean what what's your view on kind of how long a pitch should be and are there any circumstances where they're going to be kind of on the longer side
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I've been guilty many a time of making my pitch too long, Um, but averagely, and I did sit and work this out, my pitches are 324 words long, that's the average length, and uh, I've been, I'm, I'm annoying like that, I sit and work stuff out, but yeah, 300 words, I think, should be enough to pitch a story, and I think... Honestly, you don't need to tell the editor everything. They don't need every spit and cough. What they need is a bare bones and being able to see what what are the cliff notes here? What are the lines that are gonna make a cover line or a headline? Um, How is this gonna fit on our flat plan? That's the main information they need. And I think there was a time when pictures were called teasers and that's the point. You're supposed to tease the editor with the main information kind of hook them in and if they're interested, they will engage with you and ask some more information and obviously that doesn't mean missing out the key stuff. <laughs> and I don't think at all that you should be vague, I think you should be very specific, very concise, but to the point point. and a lot of the pitches that I would get when I was commissioning editor or when I was features editor or now with the Lacuna voices when I'm commissioning daily, um, it just rambles on, there's no central point, it's not clear, it's not concise and like Flick said um, just a minute ago it's clear they haven't they haven't read the publication so they're pitching it in completely wrong format and so that keeping to the 300 words personally I think it kind of sharpens your brain to stick to the point and make it very clear and there's no reason that your pitch needs to be this verbose um, flowery dialogue it doesn't need to be that it just needs to be clear and to the point so I you know don't I wouldn't shun bullet points you know here's here's the cell here's the headline here are the main bullet points I've got case studies it's exclusive here are some pictures and I think the the, the cliff notes is all you need really.
1: Blick would you agree with that and and can you think of any examples of maybe of a pitch that's been like I don't know a thousand words ridiculously long?
3: Yeah I think uh that the more experienced you are the shorter your pitches get because when you've worked with editors before they know that they can trust you and if you say I will interview experts they know that you're going to find the right people I think if you're less Experienced it as Punta said. It's good to inc- include some detail of who you might interview, why you might interview them. I also like pitches that include links. So if there's a news peg, say, or it's a science pitch, you know, I have found this new study, for instance, that is worth writing about. Here's the link to it. So you're not copying out vast chunks of text. You're just letting them say, okay, if I want to know more about this, I'll just click here. Um, for me, I think a pitch would be about a hundred words 200 words max but that's partly because of what I do you know I do features they're quite quick uh, a lot of the time for newspapers and editors literally don't have time to read a whole chunk of text to find out where you're going with it they just want the top line uh, what the headline might be as punter says um, you know your idea of what what you think the main angle of the piece is and a little bit of information about how you will approach it also again if you're new to it why you're the person to write it, because I think the most important thing to bear in mind after what is this publication and what's it looking for is how much time does this person have? And I think it's very important to remember that editors have almost no time in my experience. You know, you're inundated with PR emails every day, information, people asking when their piece is going in, photographs. So I think the main thing is to catch the attention and if they want to follow it up, then they can do that quickly. They don't have to plow through paragraph after paragraph to find out where it's going.
0: Yes, I mean, if they if they have more questions, they will ask you. Um, I mean, I pitched a news story to the, the, the Times just before Christmas that because of timing never ended up going in. But I just had kind of a two sentences and then some bullet points of here are the problems, here's two case yeah. studies I've found, done. They did have questions, but they called me. The news desk called me and we just talked through it. You know, you, you've just got to think about all that information that that news desk is getting every day or the editor's getting every day that they've just got to, you know, they've got, they're making a five second decision on everything that, everything that they're seeing. So, yeah, I'm definitely a fan of the the bullet points as well. Um, the other thing that kind of when you get pitching guides, you, and we teach this as well, you will hear is you need to give a reason sort of why now for picking for you know what why should we care about this now why should our readers care about this now what's the hook what's the reason for doing it um i mean how important is timeliness flick would would an editor just see through if you'd made up a why now reason yeah. <laughs> i mean some things you know maybe for some things the story is good enough what would what would be your advice there
3: Yeah I think it very much depends again on the publication because if you're a weekly women's magazine and you've got a great case study it isn't necessarily news pegged at all you know somebody with a brilliant personal story can go in at any time but obviously for newspapers which I write for a lot most of their feature content tends to have a news peg and it moves incredibly fast you know I mean who knows what will happen with Twitter now but in the heyday of Twitter you know news turns over every five minutes and if If you miss the boat, they're kind of done with it. And a lot of the time I have written features that have been perfectly valid features. They've been really good. You know, they were what they asked for. But it missed the peg because something else happened in the news that went in instead and suddenly it feels like old chip wrapping a day later. So I think one of the things is if you're writing features for newspapers or news pieces, obviously for newspapers, you have to be really, really quick and get on it straight away. You can't kind of go, oh, that's interesting. I might come back to that next Tuesday because then the ship has sailed basically you know so yes it is important but again if it's a monthly magazine or a weekly women's magazine it isn't as important because if you've got a great story that tends to transcend news pegs most of the time
0: yeah and I suppose you also have to understand in magazines in women's magazines world they're working so far ahead that yeah. there's no point in November thinking oh I've got a great Christmas feature Someone, so there's a
3: bit of understanding Someone did that to me yesterday, they sent a whole pitch saying, Oh, you know, I've got this great idea for Christmas, blah, blah, blah. And I said, Well, the magazines I work for are now in March. So it's not going to work, you know, and I think a lot of people don't realise that. And why should they if they haven't worked in offices of magazines that a lot of gossies work three, at least three months ahead, more like four and maybe five months ahead. So you always have to be thinking ahead. That's why PRs do Christmas in July, uh, where they showcase all the Christmas stuff, because that's about when journalists are starting to think, what am I going to put in my Christmas issue? So it is ludicrously far ahead. But you have to know that. I think before you can pitch effectively.
1: Yeah and something that we've already sort of talked about already is about targeting the publication and and understanding it but I guess there's also um, a knack to kind of knowing what an individual editor wants because you know there's no one size fits all and some editors perhaps will like things slightly differently um, Pundi come to you like how important do you think it is to really get an understanding of what an individual editor wants and and how important is that in terms of getting repeat commissions
2: yeah I think it's important but it it can it can be difficult if you're working just now with a new editor you're not going to know exactly how that editor works until you've worked with them but I think it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly what particular editors want so when I'm when I'm pitching or approaching I do what I call a forensic analysis I get maybe five or six back issues if it's a magazine I'll spend a week or two you know reading through not a week or two reading through them but I need at least five issues I think of a newspaper or magazine before I approach that section editor I need to look through and see how are they reacting to the news? Are they reacting to the news? How do they run? What are their normal franchises? And then instead of me trying to appease the editor, I'm trying to pitch them something that fits what they're doing um, on their editorial. So once you get to know them, you'll know whether they're you know, they going to come back to you with ads, whether they might not respond to you for ages after you get, they get your copy, whether they want you to chase them up, whether, you know, whatever. I think you need to have your own robust processes in place. Like I always have copious legal notes. I write picture um, editor's notes. I write picture notes, sub notes, all at the top of my copy because I don't know what they want, but I know what I want them to know. So I just give them all the information. And so far in in the 14 years I've been doing it, it's always worked out fine for me, but yeah, it's, I mean, editing, writing, pitching, it's all really subjective. So what what might work for one editor, even on the same publication, I've had a deputy and an editor who edit copy completely differently. So I would just kind of pray like I've started like this. If it goes to X editor, she's going to change it. If it goes to that editor, she's not going to change it. So it's very subjective process and you can only just do your best until you get to know what they like.
1: And Flick, do you think there is a a case of kind of once you've started writing for an editor, sort of nurturing that? relationship and what is it you would be looking for from from that person to kind of want to keep you know regularly commissioning them
3: Well, I'll be really honest, I don't think that nurturing the relationship is the most important thing anymore. I think it used to be when people stayed in their job for years and years and would have their favored writers and so on, but it's very different now. There's so many freelancers out there, so many people who've lost their office job, been made redundant, decided to leave and go freelance. You're competing all the time and there's a huge turnover of editors on most publications. Um, So I think the most important thing is actually, again, to know the publication more than to know the editor. Yes, you get to know their individual preferences, but you might spend months trying to craft your pitches to please the editor and then they move on. There's no point. I think, as Punter said, uh, you know, the most important thing is to do what you do very, very well. What I looked for most in an editor was not missing deadlines that's absolutely the most important thing if someone gives you a deadline stick to it and also people who just get on with it who know what they're doing what you don't want to do when you're editing and you're very busy is to be sort of spoon feeding a journalist who isn't quite sure who doesn't know what they're doing you want somebody who you can say can you go and do this story for me? Interview three experts, we need a case study and they will go and they will do that and bring back the copy and it won't need much doing to it, that's the dream. So it doesn't matter so much now in these days of remote working, the long lunches are pretty much gone The personal relationships are nice, but they're not the key thing. Being efficient, being reliable, trustworthy, good at what you do, that is much more important. And that will appeal to every editor, not just the one that you've decided to build the relationship with. Of course, you're going to get on with some better than others. I have editors who've become friends and editors I would hope I never meet again. But, you know, ultimately, (laughs) ultimately part of being a journalist as well is getting on with people. You know, it's about being sociable, being able to make a conversation with any kind of person and editors are part of that too. It's not just about interviews. It's about who you work with, I think as well.
0: Yeah. And I think another thing that comes into that as well is just being available. So if you've sent a pitch and then they come back with some questions because they're interested, make sure that you've noticed that that email has come in and answered straight away because they're immediately, you know, thinking, is this person reliable? They've sent me this pitch and then they seem to have gone AWOL afterwards and editors have told me that happens more often than you would you would think so yeah yeah, don't just send off the pitch and then think that's the end of that process and and one thing that we get asked about quite a lot um, in our Facebook community for example is about uh, case studies so if you have a case study how much information do you give away in a pitch you know you don't want to (laughs) just hand over the because you know that's something that you've got that gives you a reason that you need to be the person to write this piece because you've got this interesting example Um, how do you where do you find that line between giving enough information that the editor thinks yeah this is going to be a really interesting story and not giving everything away Hunter I'm gonna put that to you
2: um yeah real life stories is like 90% of what I do and I wouldn't go more than giving them the first name sometimes I don't even put their name in they don't care what the name is I just say I've got this mum of two from Brighton here's her story I've attached the pictures She signed to me they don't uh, luckily I've not been in a position where an editor's kind of like stolen my story but um I just make sure that on my end my editor is tightly my my interviewee is kind of tightly signed up they're clear on what the process is they're clear that I'm working exclusively. And um, yeah, that's, that's it. They don't really need to know, you know, like what their full name is or like where they live other than the region, really, if it's relevant to what you're pitching.
1: And Flick, that's something um, that was mentioned there is something we get asked about a lot is um, this idea of sort of editors stealing pitches. I mean, what, what's your take on that? Does that happen or is it just coincidence no. that they cover a topic it's- that you've pitched?
3: Uh, I mean, I've been a journalist for 30 years, and that has never, ever happened to me. Occasionally, you will obviously pitch something that they're already thinking about, or somebody else has pitched, or an editor has said, oh, we should do something on so-and-so, and And you will see a cover line and go, that was my idea, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Someone once said to me, ideas are ten a penny, and they really, really are. It's what you do with them that matters. And if your idea doesn't get picked up but a very similar one runs later that doesn't mean they've stolen it it just means that you're in touch with the zeitgeist you know maybe it's a bit newsy and it's what other people are thinking about too so there's nothing to be done about that it's just the way it is people have the same thoughts sometimes you know you'll have a rash of novels that come out around the same time with a similar sort of topic it's just fashions it's trends people think along the same lines in the same business and if they do steal the odd idea it's not the end of the world because as a journalist your job is to have lots of ideas you know you can't get wedded to one idea it's it's not important it's just part of the process of getting work
0: I was trying to do some quick maths then and failed because if if none of us have ever had this happen and we've all been journalists in, we can probably count in decades, um, then yeah, I don't know that it is actually a a thing at all, but it is something that people genuinely really worry about.
3: But I think that's (laughs) because people get very, very wedded to their idea. You know, it, it takes them a long time. When you're first starting out, having an idea is like gold dust. You know, and you think, oh, this is it. This is, this is going to break me big time. This is going to be my big, my big gig. And if somebody else uses it, it's very painful. But I think when you've been doing it for a long time, you're just like, ah, oh, it's another idea. There it goes. It doesn't matter. You know, you just have to remember that if you've had one idea, you'll have more ideas and not become completely bound to them and not believe that you're the only person who could ever have had that idea. I think it's important to remember that ideas aren't the biggest thing. They're just part of the job.
2: I think part of it as well is that freelancers, perhaps maybe newer freelancers or journalists will overlook the fact that there are in-house feature teams and news teams paid to literally come up with ideas and they'll be doing it at the crack of dawn. So when I was on the mags, we used to come in two hours before we were actually due to come in. So we'd get there for, I would get there for 7.45 and do my papers. I go through all the papers and we would have discussed and ripped apart everything that was topical that day, literally by half eight in the morning. So if if you're not up the crack of dawn and there's a team of really experienced journalists on a newspaper or a magazine, they've already done it. So if you're reacting to the news at 10 o'clock, they've already done it at eight and they would have come up with probably you know better ideas because they've been doing it for so long. So I think sometimes when people think that idea has been stolen, just as Flick said, it's not that it's been stolen. It's just already been thought of. And if if 95% of what you see in the newspapers is news reactive, everyone's reacting to the same news. It's going to end up crossing over at some point.
0: And also, you know, glass half full. You could, if that does happen, you think, oh, hang on, I pitched the idea. Then just take it as a sign that you're on the right lines. You're coming up with ideas that are actually publishable and, and move Definitely. on to move on to the next one, I would say. Um let's let's talk about this uh idea of how many times you should chase um a pitch once you've sent it because obviously things can get missed so many things you know coming in I have this with editors I work for really regularly and they didn't answer something and you think that's a bit weird I would have thought they'd be keen on that and you chase it and they it's just oh I meant to send you a reply I completely forgot um so yeah it is normal to chase but how much is too much I guess Flick I'll come to you first
3: Yeah, that's a really good question and one that people ask a lot. I think It's very different from both sides of the fence, isn't it? Because as an editor, you don't want to be chased, particularly. But as a journalist, it's part of what you do. You have to know if somebody's going to pick up your piece or not. So I tend, if I've sent a pitch and I haven't had a reply, and I think it really works for that particular publication, why haven't they got back to me? It's an editor I know, for instance. I might leave it a couple of days if it's not massively newsy, and then just send a quick line saying, just checking if you've seen my pitch because you know the news cycle is going to move on and i might need to pitch it elsewhere and if they don't reply to that i think you're free to pitch elsewhere if they do you know they might say oh god i didn't see it you know i was so busy or i was what i find at the moment particularly since the pandemic as well is that people work from home a lot they're busy doing other things their kids are crying the dog's barking Mm -hmm. you know they're much less focused than they used to be actually Um, and a lot of people are working part-time as well um, you know they're like oh I'm not in the office on a Monday I don't do Thursdays so that belief that people are there five or six days a week constantly checking their emails is no longer as relevant so yeah I think it's perfectly justified to chase up but don't keep chasing if you don't hear back because it literally does mean they're just like I am too busy for this if I wanted it I'd let you know so I think one chase is fine two max but no more than that.
2: yeah I I would agree I'm kind of a one and done girl I'll chase it once and then I'll move on because uh, honestly drawing a line under stuff sometimes is much more beneficial to your income rather than wasting time and I kind of mitigate this in a way that when I'm sending a pitch there are sometimes I've crafted it for one editor for one publication but sometimes I'll have an idea that might sit well with multiple editors and multiple publications and in those ones I'll have a core pitch I'll tweak it a little bit to suit each publication. And in those ones where I'm sending it to multiple people, but one-to-one, I will literally say, just so you know, I'm pitching this to a few editors today. That gives me an out if two people come back at once and want it, that gives me an out if I sell it to someone else and then one of the other editors comes back and says, oh, I was interested. I'm just a bit slow. I was a bit slow getting back to you, whatever. Um, they might say, is this still available? But I do, I do put that in my emails, just to give them a bit of a kick up the bum that this isn't just for you. And it's worth me sending it to a few people and you've got to be quick if you want it. So yeah, I give them one chase. Um, sometimes I don't chase them because I've I've placed it, obviously. But yeah, it's, I think, drawing a line under it and saving your time is actually much more beneficial to what you're doing as a freelancer. Yeah.
1: I think it it varies as well, doesn't it, depending on, again, sort of how long you've been working for that editor because I'd certainly think if you're cold pitching then, like you say, follow up once, maybe twice. But I've got editors that I write for regularly who have said to me, keep chasing me, keep chasing me. I just, I I get so many emails, I just don't even see it. And I might have to chase five or six times. Um, And I know that it's going to get commissioned, (laughs) but it's just, it's irritating. But again, that's because I've asked the question, and i think that's an important thing as well is um if you can and i've certainly done this in the past it's like pick up the phone and like speak to an editor and just ask them these kind of things like you know what kind of content they're looking for how far ahead they're working and do they mind being chased and kind of how often um and i think that's something that we've lost in you know the age of kind of text and messaging it's like nobody talks to each other on the phone anymore that's if you can get them on the phone because I find a lot of editors don't actually answer the phone um but you yeah. know if they do well,
2: they don't put their number on it no. <laughs> they don't put their number on their signature they don't want you to call them
1: <laughs> no and, and that kind of brings me nicely on to the next question because one of the hardest things I think when you're starting out is finding the right person to pitch to um and knowing if someone is actually a commissioning editor or not so i just wondered um if you had any kind of perhaps sort of insider advice from the sort of um commissioning editor point of view on like how do you find the right person to pitch to because it's not always obvious Flip, what what do you think what what's your kind of tip
3: Well, I wouldn't say it's insider. It's pure common sense. I mean, I think you can Google people. Most magazines have their employees on the masthead somewhere in the magazine. Uh, You can look on Twitter, um, you know, and say commissioning editor for, you know, Bella or whatever. And quite often they'll have it in their bio. Or you can ring up the switchboard, but that would annoy them if you did it all the time. So only do that if you're really desperate. Uh, But There's always ways of finding people. And I think I don't want to sound too like a headmistress, but I think part of being a journalist is being good at research and being able to find someone. And one thing that really puts me off using a writer is if they are pretty much incapable of doing things for themselves you know, and they're constantly asking questions, and they're like, oh, I don't know how to do this, oh, can you tell me who's this, and I think, no, that's your job, you know, part of the job is finding who to pitch to, um, but again, most people will be somewhere on the internet with that information, you know, it's not that hard to find, and if you get the wrong person, most times, if somebody thinks it's a good idea, they'll forward it to the right person, or they'll come back to you and say, oh, no, you don't need me, you need so-and-so in the editorial department, so I think If you're not quite sure, just use your research skills, which should be great, and look, Google, you know, find them because they will be there. People, they're not hiding, but if it's hard to find, you know, sometimes you just have to find the nearest person you can on that publication and get in touch with them and hope for the best.
1: Yeah. I mean, Punti, when it comes to magazines, I find like if I think it's a really small magazine, I'll go to the editor if it's slightly bigger I'll go to the deputy editor sometimes there might be a commissioning editor or features editor but it doesn't necessarily say anywhere like especially I find for specialist magazines maybe it's different in women's magazines but is there kind of a hierarchy in terms of like who you should be pitching to
2: yeah I think um, when it comes to niche and smaller titles I don't have enough experience to answer it from that point of view because I work with women's weeklies, monthlies, kind of bigger publications and their hierarchy is typically commissioning editor um, or sometimes now it'll be like a features editor but typically it's the commissioning editor who's buying in the story so my go-to would be looking for the commissioning editor for a magazine Um, but one thing that I tell a lot of the journalists that I kind of work with or mentor a bit is that what you need to first do is actually identify what type of story you're trying to sell because a lot of people are t- pitching a story that they think is a feature but it's actually an opinion piece. They, they, they can't seem to distinguish exactly what it is that they're selling so they end up on the wrong desk and get ignored. If you send an opinion piece to the features editor, it's unlikely they're going to have time or inclination to reply. Um, so yeah, I think identifying what your feature is and then going looking for the section editor or commissioning editor. My, my normal is kind of just as Flick said Google commissioning editor and whoever whatever section or whatever that I'm trying to land a story in so yeah I think research skills are key I think if if you're having real difficulty finding it then (laughs) that's a bit problematic
0: (laughs) yeah I mean I think it just it often just takes a bit of cross-checking doesn't it so you can find so yeah. using Twitter, LinkedIn, Google—kind of the standard convention. If you've got someone's name of what their email address at that publication might be, it just with a few different ways you can usually, ninety-nine percent of the time, find somebody specific to to email. So yeah, it's just kind yeah. of using using a bit of gumption and just trying to um, very Yorkshire word there. Um, okay yeah final question I just wanted to um, run past you something that Lily and I sometimes do if especially if it's a story that we have been trying to plan or work on for ages so you get a bit in your own head with I'm not quite sure what the line is here or I don't know if I'm selling this in the right way is to kind of you know cast an eye over each other's pitches if there's one we're not sure about um, is that something you think is useful is that something that if you think I don't I don't think my pictures are getting picked up as often as they should or I'm not sure about this one it's kind of having some a freelance buddy who can give you some honest advice on why it might not be working punter what do you think
2: yeah, I think that is a good idea. And I'm really lucky that I, my husband was a journalist. And one of my litmus tests, if I'm struggling, I have two litmus tests for whether it's a story or not, first of all, is that I give it a flat plan name. So can I crunch this story down into two or three words? Let me understand what is the core of my story. And also, if, you're, if you've got a freelance buddy, somebody that you can run your idea past, I think verbally trying to explain to them what the story is, is another good litmus test if you're finding it very difficult to tell them what the story is it might be because that you've not developed it enough it might be because it's not actually strong enough it might be that it's tenuously linked like the two things that you're talking about might be tenuously linked so running it past somebody else and actually having to verbalize kind of like a verbal pitch will make you get to the crux of what it is or actually pinpoint what the issue is why it's becoming difficult to to write down the idea
0: yes I mean you need to be able to sum it up in that really strong headline don't you if you can't if you can't sell it in a headline then you've not quite figured out what your what your story is yet it's like do you ever kind of (laughs) you know say I'm not quite sure what this story is and bounce ideas off of the journalist freelance buddies you're just too experienced now to need to do that (laughs)
3: well it's not that it's just I've never ever done that um it's just not part of how I work you know I kind of I'm so used to working on my own part of being a freelance journalist a lot of the time is just being by yourself living in your head you know with your little friends in your computer so I don't I don't do that and I've never done that but I think if people are inclined that way I think it could be helpful for sure but I think the main thing would be to ensure that the person you're bouncing it off knows what they're talking about Because it's no use having two people who are a bit confused and starting out because, you know, you're just potentially giving each other bad advice. So I think if you can find a mentor, brilliant, if that's the way you like to work. Or if you can't, there are loads and loads of coaching courses now, loads of journalism mentoring courses. And for some people, that's definitely worth doing if you find a good one, you know, and give you the basics. But I think for me, no, I I always felt, you know, just find the headline, pitch it for the right demographic, whatever the magazine is. And if if I get it wrong, I'll try better next time. You know, that was always my approach.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think it does really vary, doesn't it, on the person and the level of experience and and how you operate. But, you know, there's kind of more than one way to skin a cat, as it were. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, both those approaches are really good. Right I think we're gonna round up but I think what we'd like to do is ask you both for your kind of top tip from our kind of discussion today like one kind of takeaway piece of advice that you would give to our listeners so Flick what would yours be?
3: Well, I think it has to be research the market that you're pitching to. That is the key. And that's what you have to do with every single pitch. Some magazines even have a media pack that you can order that will tell you all of that. Um, You know, you're much, much less likely to get your pitch picked up and commissioned if you don't know who you're pitching to going to ask you the same
0: and you were nodding there it might be that your your topic would be quite similar um but yeah what's the one sort of takeaway see see if we can think of another takeaway from today's episode
2: yeah flick definitely nailed it that's the top one but I think um reading the publication that you're trying to pitch to not just once not just one article but you know try and pitch to the art the publications that you're actually fond of the ones that you read you understand it more you understand and you've learned the nuance of how they react to things, how they run stuff. So um, pitching to something, to a publication completely cold, not having any idea what they do really, just because you want to see your byline under that title, it's it's, gonna, it's probably not going to work. So Flick nailed it with the research. You know, Do a good analysis of what they're doing and uh, make sure that your story is strong enough. Sometimes pitches don't land because they're just not strong enough and it's a reality we have to face and drawing a line under it and moving on to the next idea is is absolutely fine you don't have to flog a dead horse basically
1: yeah I think that's really solid advice because as we've said you can get really um wedded to your idea and it's like your little baby and you don't want to let it go but yeah just let it go move on to the next one fantastic okay as part of our way of sharing the freelance love we would like to ask both of you who is a freelance journalist that's recently um caught your eye um someone that's you know doing really good work or that you admire so flick who's your sort of freelance recommendation
3: yeah well it's difficult because obviously a lot of my friends are freelance journalists and i think they're (laughs) all amazing but i'm gonna say leah hardy because she's a health writer primarily. She writes about all kinds of things, but shes I've worked with her and she's a friend of mine and she's incredibly accurate. Her research is just impeccable. She recently uh, had breast cancer and wrote about that. And I think it helped a huge number of people. Um, and thankfully she's been given an all clear. So fingers crossed she's okay but you know she is um, extremely assiduous and extremely good writer and she researches brilliantly so I would trust what she writes as well which is really important in this day and age you know because there's so much rubbish shared online I think we really need accurate writers who know what they're talking about.
0: Yeah absolutely very good reason for a recommendation there. Ev Hunter same question to you who would you uh, shout out as a freelance recommendation?
2: Uh, there's a kind of multimedia freelance journalist called Isabel Jenny Friend and she is, um, I would say like quite new, like she's been around for maybe a few years doing this for the Nationals and she she is chronically ill, uh, she has cystic fibrosis and she does so much kind of social campaigning, social um, pieces that are just really important to people like me who are chronically ill, people who have disabilities and I think what she's doing in the face of actually a lot of hardship um I think she's amazing and whenever I read one of her pieces I just think like wow that was such a worthy read that was such a good job she's done there so I think Isabel would be, be the person that I would say.
1: Fantastic yeah another brilliant recommendation and we'll put some links um to both of those people in our show notes so um, our listeners can go and check their work out. Fantastic well it's time to bring the episode to a close thank you both so much there's been so much useful advice there and I think our listeners are going to be running off
0: to refine their pitches right away. Absolutely and do look in those show notes because where there is a code for discount code for the 10 point pitching plan um, and a link there as well Um, If you want to make more connections with other freelancers, come and join our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community of 5,000 members. And
1: uh, whilst it still exists, we're on Twitter, at Freelancing4, and you can also follow
0: us individually. I'm at Lily Cantor. And I'm at Emma Jerno. And we also want to say a big thanks to our research assistant, Helen Quinn, and producer, Maddy Drury. And we'll be back again next week, but goodbye for now. Bye.